do your people really understand what their responsibilities are as well, right? Because because you'll 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 be very surprised when you start asking them, hey, who are you and what do you do at this company? Um, and if you compare that list for what who their supervisor thinks that that person is supposed to be doing, it'll be two probably it'll probably be two totally different lists. <laughs> to be honest with you, I find that this as well. Oh, 100%. That's recipes for disaster, right? Because he thinks he's doing a great job. The supervisor thinks he's doing an awful job because <laughs> they're, yeah, right. they're looking at different lists. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CM Mentors Podcast. My name is Matt Graves. My co-host each week is Kyle Grandel. What's up, Kyle? Hey, Matt. How you doing? Thanks for the welcome. I got a question for you when we get rolling here. All right. Well, you're on the road, as always. You're a busy, busy man coming to us from your hotel room, it looks like. Yeah, it's from the, the hotel suite. This is the Microtel Inn. It's the only place <laughs> in freaking Des Moines, Iowa that was like less than $100 a night. I can't believe it, man. And, and, and I'm not saying anything against Des Moines, but holy crap. It's uh, this, is probably, this is about the lowest that I've done before. So. Man, I was in uh, Fort Worth for a conference a couple weeks ago, and you couldn't get a hotel for under like $350. It was insane. Oh, downtown Fort Worth. It was a Somebody I was working with, they were going to go stay in Dallas. The next night, he was looking downtown Dallas, and he finally found one for like two fifty a night, and it was like the slum. You know, I was like, "Gee, this is crazy." Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the bed bug in serving me well so far. It's only been one <laughs> night though, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it does. You know, <laughs> right on. So this week we got Jerry Alberti. He's the principal at Pro Excel. He's the man behind Pro Excel. So welcome, Jerry. Thanks, guys. I'm I'm really excited about this. I appreciate uh I appreciate the invite. So I think ever since we started the podcast, I've been telling Jerry, man, we got to get you on. We got to get you on. We got to get you on. And I've, I've put you off to like number 22 now. So I apologize about that. But man, uh, we've had a lot of good conversations. We have uh, had a lot of text messages and phone calls in the past know, year probably. And um, just really wanted to get you on here. You got a lot of good insights on the industry and kind of what you're seeing for projects, project success and estimating and all kinds of other fun operations things. So you want to uh, give them a little bit of background of kind of what you're doing at ProXL? Yeah, sure. So um, essentially, I help contractors create more repeatable project success by improving their field and their office operations, uh, finding ways to reduce overhead and helping them build high performing teams. So um, it's a loaded it's a loaded message. There's there's a lot of work behind that, you know, but um, as you guys know, this 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 business is extremely fast paced. It's very challenging and uh, finding skilled management and finding skilled trained is becoming harder and harder, you know, and, and, and that's the gap that I hope to help fill. Yeah. So, Jerry, you covered a lot of things in that. So, I mean, are there certain areas that you really focus on when you get involved with the projects? Like, like, do you spend a lot of time on on on, on the people people side of things? A lot of time on like operations and you know, making things more efficient, or you know, how, how do you how do you kind of split that up so the the listeners you know kind of kind of know what it is a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, you know, for me, I I, I target uh, small to mid sized contractors, right? So, um, it all depends on the pain points of of the actual contractor themselves. They don't necessarily need to have pain points, right? They could be in a in a high growth stage as well, where they just need, you know, where they maybe they don't want to rush it, into hiring a vice president of uh, of operations, you know, and they may need to to bring somebody in to kind of help them coordinate and and provide a little bit more guidance in establishing some systems and processes for new hirees or taking what they have already, which they successfully built, and kind of 
maybe improving on that. You know, it's not it's not my role to come in and and to rework everything. You know, I mean, it's my role to come in and help. So it's either helping you in a growth stage, or maybe you just can't put your thumb on exactly what's happening with your operations and don't understand why your profits are running away from you. You know, so I can help at in all different kinds of of angles. Wow, is there is there a certain um, certain type of contractor you would work with? You know, specifically, like maybe is it like a GC or a subcontractor trade? Sub, you know, what do you typically work with? So I work with all all types of contractors, whether they're a GC, a specialty trade, you know, commercial, heavy civil. I mean, my main background is is heavy civil, but I found that as I got going, you know, the questions and 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 a lot of the situations that were kind of recurring. We're happening in all different types of contractors, you know. So I, I'm not I'm not really niching down to heavy civil anymore. You know, I'm, I I can help I can help folks in the commercial space and specialty trade. Uh, just recently, I was helping a plumber, right, who only dealt with residential, didn't do any commercial work whatsoever. So, you know, it's all the above and within the construction uh, world. Sure. Is it location specific or do you go all around or? No, no, no. I, I have proposals out in five different states right now. So, you know, that's the beauty. I mean, New York City is my background, right? You know, that's yeah. that's that's my playground. So and and if any of you if any of you guys have ever come to New York City, uh, I don't think it gets any more difficult than New York City. I mean, you're 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 digging 50 foot holes next to 120 year old buildings with underpinning <laughs> and literally <laughs> building stuff over people's heads and getting milkshakes milkshakes thrown at you and glass bottles thrown at you. I, I've probably been cursed out so many times in my life in the last 20 years. It's not even funny. So <laughs> that just adds to the stress, you know, <laughs> but oh, man. I'm not working on the streets anymore. So now, now, now I'm in an office and um, I help, I help contractors all around the U S uh, you know, I mean, we're in a, in a, in a beautiful world right now where, where this COVID has kind of presented this this whole remote world, right? And a lot of people are opening up to it. I mean, even the largest consulting firms now, I, I was just reading an article and, and they said that they don't even send their own people out anymore. And you're talking consulting firms where their engagements start at a million dollars and they're not even sending their people out to your office, you know? So it's just the world we're in right now. And I'm looking to take advantage of that. And, and I think it, it also helps the contractor themselves because it, it reduces... Um, it reduces the downtime on their end as well, right? So instead of engaging in a sit-down meeting all day long, it's more of a, of a Zoom call. And then from there, you know, you have your face-to-face -face interactions. It all depends on the project as well. I've seen, talking about everything going, a lot of people be more open to virtual. I, I do think COVID kicked a very slow industry. Like construction is very slow to adopt technology. But... I think COVID was a blessing in that regard where it really pushed a lot of people to jump into the virtual stuff, which is really cool because if you need to have a, a team meeting of say like the owner, the architect, the contractor, well, they may all be scattered, right? It may take you two weeks to coordinate that where I can have it scheduled for this afternoon. Just, Hey, you want to jump on a zoom call or a teams call and you can get it just right then and you kind of walk through it. So it's, that's been a huge blessing. Um, but what you're doing meeting with contractors and stuff, are you seeing, if you're meeting with like say a contractor's team to kind of help them train them or something like that, are you, are you getting the engagement through zoom or teams or is it much better in person? I imagine it'd be hard to have that connection via virtual. 
So I, so I, I always start with what I call the ops assessment. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a discovery phase, right? It's a low cost. It's just, um, it's something to engage in, in conversations and, and figure out why the particular client is experienced when is experiencing what they're experiencing. And then from there, I, I, I put together my, um, I put together my observations, my recommendations, and and a roadmap to get from point A to point B, whatever that may be for that particular contractor. And then from there, if they wish to have me on board to kind of implement that that roadmap and, and those changes, then from there I provide three different options of 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 um, of a direction to go. And then from there, it's more of an in-person interaction, at least at least in the beginning, right? But, you know, again, I, I speak to I'm actually a part of a very large consulting community and, and um, I'm backed by these consultants as well. And I would say the majority of them never, ever step foot in any of their clients offices, you know, and some of these people are doing five, six hundred thousand dollar engagements <laughs> and they never meet their clients face to face. So it depends on the individual as well. You know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to whatever is is, is going to allow me to help my client as much as possible, right? Because I have a reputation to keep and uh, I have a business to grow as well. So yeah, just play by ear, I guess, right? Whatever works yeah, best. Exactly. For you. Exactly. You know, again, there there is no one size fits all. So yeah, you were talking about a minute ago. You're kind of seeing because I thought maybe I've never been. I've never worked for a general contractor, right? I worked for a subcontractor world, and now I'm at the owner's rep world. So I've kind of seen the contract from both sides. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, subcontractors are going to have different problems than a general contractor would. But you kind of said, you know, everyone sort of got the same sort of problems across the board. What are some of the biggest pain points you kind of see everybody having? Like, for example, communication. Right? <laughs> people, people just one 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 owner just called me up. Actually, I had um, I had a call with him today's Friday. I had a call him on Wednesday and he says, he says, Jerry, every time I leave for vacation, my jobs tank on me. I mean, I don't know how long he's going away for, but he says his job's tank on him. He says it's just a lack of communication and there nobody's really holding each other res responsible or accountable. I talk about this all the time, right? You gotta, there's, there's so many moving parts in this business. And if, if each and every person isn't being held accountable, it's a problem. It's a problem, especially when you want to grow. And you want to expand, right? You know, I mean, when you're small, the super is the PM, is also the field engineer, is also helping accounting. But as you grow, the field super needs to be the field super, the PM needs to be the PM. And then yeah, from there, you need some level, you need channels of, of communication. Mm -hmm. And then you need to really delegate tasks properly. And then when you delegate tasks properly, now everybody's going to be held accountable for those specific tasks. So that that it all it all comes down to do it. it all comes down to that and then turnover is a big problem as well you know I, I talk a lot about incentives as well you know how are you going to keep your people you know people don't want to wait around 12 months for a bonus you know I mean people want people want to put people want to push but they want more of an excuse to push as well right and to me I think incentives are the perfect thing it's a win-win situation if 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 the owner's making money and 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 the uh, employees making money, it's a win-win situation. As long as everybody's doing it safely. What are some good incentives you've seen? Well, you know, so you got to tie like for example, you know, you take a project manager, you know, you tie certain milestones and within that project to to to, to X Y Z incentive, whatever it may be. But you got to be careful because they may be busting the budget that were presented that that started in estimating as well, right? 
So it takes careful planning. It really, it really takes a lot of questions and, and really understanding that particular company and how they've broken down. You know, in estimating, you can't really tie an incentive to to a low bid, right? Because you don't know if that low bid is going to make you money yet, right? Until you start getting the job and then and then the job starts rolling. And then another common complaint that I hear is, why is my profits running away from me at the end of the job? Well, it's because a lot of your overhead costs aren't, aren't, aren't accounted for. You know, you're so desperate. You wait too long to bid work. You're so desperate to win work. And then, and then you bid work and then you win it so cheap. And you think you got yourself a good price until you start building the job, right? And and, and then it, and then it becomes a finger pointing game. I mean, we all know how that works. It's 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 everybody else's fault. <laughs> oh, of course, and that's what I've seen on incentives too, because you know a lot of companies they do you know project bonuses, right? So if your project completes, but it's like if you're on a big project, that's three or four years from now. Like, it doesn't really excite me today for a project bonus in four years. You know, it's kind of it's not tied together. So it's I think you got to have to keep people motivated and stuff along the way, you got to have smaller wins, I think, too. I know a major contractor in the area over here who does that. And um, I know quite a few people have, who have left that company for that very reason. I mean, they're a, bar, they're a big contractor. They're like a billion-dollar-a-year contractor. And I know several people who have left for that. People don't want to wait around three, four years for bonuses. I mean, in my opinion, when somebody gives you a 2%, 3% raise, you're barely keeping up with inflation. So is it really a raise? No, it's not a raise. I think what Shoot. takes you over the edge is the bonus. You haven't been keeping inflation the last few years. Yeah, exactly. Right. Two percent raise. Uh, the last couple of years is 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 not cracking anything. I, I mean, you still lost six percent. <laughs> yeah, and then everybody wonders why everybody's leaving for for a lousy ten thousand dollars when they're making one hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's it's because you're not taking care of them. You know, I mean, get your A teams and take care of your A teams. I understand if you're your that you're seeing your D teams, you know, but you gotta, you gotta really take care of your A teams. I mean, there's, there's many ways where you could take care of these people and it's not always financially. It's, uh, it's also respect and, and the culture of the company, the environment of the company as well. Right. You know, just, just if I could add one more thing, one, one crazy thing that I find more and more with, with, with contractors while we're kind of talking about turnover here is, estimating right when you look at these people's estimating departments they're like in dungeon basements with no windows in cubicles that are 30 years old meanwhile their project executives that should be out in the field running jobs and their project managers are like in these beautiful office environments right beautiful floor to ceiling um windows and they're never in their offices. Meanwhile, the estimators are stuck in the basements. Like, like, what is happening here? These people are at their desk for nine hours out of the day. You want to keep your estimators? Make sure their environment reflects something that they really want to be a part of for eight, nine hours and sitting at a desk all day long. So, well, yeah, I mean, show that, show that, show that, you, show that you care about them and you value their work. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, right? Put some fake plants or something like that, you know. Show some, <laughs> show some greenery, you know. Paint the yeah, mural on the don't. wall of the sun or something. I don't know. Or, or a beach. Paint the mural on the beach. For me, yeah. my happy place is mountains and beaches. <laughs> well, and, and all I can say is that, you know, CEO here, and I'm I'm in the bed bug end. So I guess I'm not doing very good, guys. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. It almost looks like an RV. That's nuts. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have my floor-to-ceiling windows just yet, so. Working on that. <laughs> All right, baby steps. <laughs> That's funny. You were talking about too about you know turnover, and you 
I'm kind of relating two points you just made. You're talking about the guy, talking about when I go on vacation, everything falls to shit because he's gone, right? And I think about you know turnovers. I think a lot of times you get companies where the management, the leaders, they don't really give the reins to the next in line, right? They're not really giving them the um, ability to take it and run with it. So then, of course, whenever they go, they leave on vacation, everything does fall apart. But I think, too, a lot of people want that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They want the autonomy. They want to be able to just do their job without getting looked over their shoulder all the time. And I think that's a big thing in turnover. Because, like, if I had somebody looking over my shoulder all the time, not that I'm doing anything bad, but, like, just let me do my job. Go away. <laughs> like, yeah. And so um, it, I think it, that's a big one. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's micromanagement, like like how I talked about. I mean, you also have to put yourself in a position where you don't get micromanaged as well. When I just started, I knew my first five years were the most crucial for me to really to really give myself a name, right? So what I would do is every single time there was a problem, instead of going to my boss and saying, hey, boss, this is the problem, how you want to fix it, I, I would I would take a shot at it and I would come up with two or three different solutions, and we always typically went with one of those solutions, or maybe they'll just add something to it, right? So, I mean, you got to put yourself in a position where you're not that person, to, where where you're not that first person to get chopped as well. How are you putting yourself, and how are you holding yourself accountable to put yourself on that A team as well, right? I mean, you know, if you want to be a bench warmer, then just keep going to your boss and asking your boss what to do next, you know? And then another thing too, is when they tell you to do one, two, and three, figure out how this fourth, fifth, and sixth step are going to work out and take a shot at it. You know, now if you're working with a guy who, or a gal who, who uh, starts screaming at you because you got something wrong because you made an attempt, well, that's another whole topic, right? That's just not a good leader. Well, Matt, we talked a lot about that with, I think, with Angelo and then also even and with Marty, too, a lot about having employees and staff that, I mean, they take the ownership, they take it upon themselves to dive in and figure out problems. And and the best thing that I like about what you just said, Jerry, is, I mean, if you have, you have a problem, bring me some solutions, too. Don't just come to me and say, hey, I, I got this issue. I don't know what to do. Well, all right. Yeah. You've, you've had, you're closer to this than I am. You just brought this issue to me. So then what solutions do you recommend? You're the right. one that knows more about this than I do. Right. Exactly. I mean, I mean, listen, your project manager should be overlooking the entire project, looking in the long term. I mean, if you're out in the field as a field engineer and you're working with the super, you know, it's your job to really handle all the day to day operations. You know, I mean, like one big thing that I used to do when I when I just started was I used to go into the container boxes and, you know, I, I knew the carpenters we're going full speed ahead on, on, on the bridge decks, right? And I knew exactly what material they needed. So instead of waiting for them to call me to say, hey, we're running low on this, I would just make a master list of all the things that I knew they needed every single day. And I would just go into that C-box, I, I, I call it C-box, and, and just go every single day and, 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 and figure it out on my own and just put the order in, you know? If we were in stage one and we had five stages, I knew we were gonna need it anyways, right? Especially nowadays with this whole supply chain issue, right? Are people really paying attention to their schedules? Are they making their own internal schedules and, and following critical path items to kind of stay ahead of the supply chain issues? There's so many different ways to kind of, you know, if you really wanna be good at what you're doing and, 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 and you're just starting out, and, and your boss is the general super, let's say, think about where he's going to be, where his mind is going to be in two, three weeks from now and figure out and try to figure out the, 
to figure out his pain points. You know, that's something that drives me. When I was on the sub side, that was something that drive me crazy. Is when you know the foreman would come to you and you're like, "I'm out of material, or I'm out of I'm out of a fitting, or something." Right? I'm like, yeah, right, this is like right. a three year project or a one year project. Like, you didn't think you didn't think we were gonna need more? Like, why why do you not like have enough? Like, I understand not having to get too much, but man, you gotta stay on top of your stuff. Right, and that was right. just something that would drive me crazy. Yeah, um, no, exactly. You know, one 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 thing that that used to drive me crazy. Just one more story is um, I was I was um, I was running. Um, I ran a couple of jobs with this one particular field engineer and, you know, we would grew up, we would group up at around six 30 in the morning and do our morning huddles, right. For about 15, 20 minutes. And he would just walk into the door like five minutes to seven, you know, really young guy, 21, 22 years old. And he would be like, so what are we doing today? And in the beginning, I was just so nice to him and I would tell him. And then finally I said, you know what, if you're not here at six 30, I'm not telling you what we're doing anymore. You know, and then he started showing up at 630 because he was left in the dust after that, you know, and then he was getting yelled at by everybody else. So, you know, it's just it's construction, guys. You got to show up really early and you're going to be working late hours. It's just the way it is. The nature of the business. That's you know, actually you're, not, you're not you're not running job sites on a Zoom call. I'm sorry. <laughs> that that's uh that's kind of segues into the next question I was going to ask, though, is for project success and kind of with all the experiences you've had, what are, what are some like advice you would give sort of the next generation of construction folks coming into the industry? In, in, in what particular topic? Uh, like basically on construction or project success, like how to manage a successful project um, kind of success. as, as a kind of an entry level person. Cause really the whole point of this podcast is really trying to give back and really kind of target kind of that next generation coming in and trying to give back to those guys. So if they're, coming into the industry. we got a lot of them that are just coming into the industry from maybe just out of college or maybe from one career transitioning to another career in construction. And so, you know, they're boots on the ground, first day, eager to make a difference, eager to be successful, make this project successful. And they said, Jerry, what do I do to be successful? <laughs> what do you sell? Well, certainly some tips are, you know, actually just touching up really quickly on, on, on the upper level is you got to arrange your teams really early, including your field engineers and these younger generation people that are just coming in. They need to be a part of the job earlier on to really see all the stages, right? You know, once you get your team in order, you got to start getting your submittals and your paperwork in order, right? So as you're building up your office, I mean, when you start a project, it's like starting a small business, if you think about it. Well, a small business, if it's a $100 million job, I mean, think about it. You're <laughs> you're finding real estate, you're, mobilizing, you're, you're, you're building hopefully high-performing teams, you're mobilizing, you're mobilizing, oh, I can't speak right now, you're mobilizing on your site, you're developing your, you're, you're bringing in your resources, right? And then you're starting your construction. So you gotta, you gotta start getting your paperwork in order really quickly because once you start hitting that that ground with your first shovel, I mean, the last thing you want is to not move forward because you're lacking on your paperwork side, right? So if you're a younger guy or or or, or girl just getting into the business, I mean, one one habit I always had was that as I was starting new operations, I would write it down. I would write down the operation. I would write down my productions. I would write down my crew sizes. I would write down the things that I need to be careful for, for the next time or things to watch out for. I would make a photocopy of the plans and the specs. I would take some pictures. 
I actually have a binder right next to me. It's been going on for 21 years right now. I call it my construction Bible. And I have so many different operations and so many different crew sizes and productions and all the different types of materials that I had, you know, because you may see an operation today, but you may not see it again for two, three years. At least now you got your paperwork and, and you can go back and, and boom, I, I mean, you'll be the superstar of, of the operation. Two, it goes back to what we talked about before is try to stay try to stay two steps ahead of your boss. You know, um, maybe not your first couple of months because it's a little difficult, maybe not your first year or two. But as you start getting going, you know, things become a little bit repetitive and projects hopefully start to run themselves after the first year or two. If it's a three year job, let's just say. Right. Um, and then, you know, find your mentors as well. Um, there's a lot of cranky people in construction. Uh, typically, I, I always found that they are very smart people and they just don't want to bother. They, they're, they're just tired. You know, I, I mean, at a certain point in this business, guys, it's so fast paced. It's a 40, 45 year marathon, you know, and when you start reaching your your upper 40s and your 50s, you just become tired. You know, you got to find your mentors who, who really want to give you the time of the day. I was very fortunate in the beginning. I really had a lot of great mentors, people that kind of just gravitated towards me instead of me gravitating towards them. And, and you know, I mean, the list goes on. It, it, it's just um, you got to stay motivated. But you know, it also goes back to the leadership side is, is what are you doing to keep them motivated as well, right? You know, are, are, are you allowing the younger generation to really make decisions? And when they make a decision, and if they mess up that decision, which is probably going to happen, what are you doing about it? Are you are you embarrassing them in front of 15 different people? You know, I had one person who went out of their way to to yell at people in front of other people because they wanted to show that they were the boss and they were and they were to admit that. And 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 there's a lot of people like that in this business, you know. Just the way it is, you can't change those people. They are who they are. Stay away from them if you can. <laughs> You made a comment about projects being kind of like a small business. And one lesson I learned with one of the companies I worked for in the past. So we had a short story here. We had a, we were, a, uh, we did new construction, but we also had a service side. And so we'd have our service side come out and help us with little odds and ends that they would do special better than our new construction guys would do. And I was complaining to the president one time. I was like, man, they're charging. Cause they were like, a, they were like a subcontractor, right? But they would come out and they'd get billed like a subcontractor. Man, they're kind of screwing me on their costs and all these sort of stuff. And I couldn't get them to come out here. And I was just being frustrated. I was venting to our president. And he basically said, like, you are, look at it like a business. You are the president of this project, right? Like, if you have a company or if you have a subcontractor that's not performing, go to get someone else. But, I, like, it was just a mind blow for me because I was like, but don't we want to keep the money in-house? Like, you know what I mean? Wouldn't you want to just keep it here versus send it down the road to somebody else? And he was like, you're the president of your project. I hire you to make sure this project is successful. Do whatever it takes to make sure this project is successful. And I was just like, wow. Like just that, like that, when you kind of have that mind shift of like, you are the president of your business and your business is this project. It's a, uh, it kind of changes your, your thoughts on things. And I'm going to add one more thing. You know, one of the first pieces of advice I was given on my first field project was Jerry, if you make, and, and, and this is more of a GC and I've always worked for GCs, who had to self-perform over 50% of the project, right? So he he told me, he says, Jerry, if you make every decision, every financial decision, like it's your own money, he says, you'll do just fine in this business. 
He said, you'll do just fine in this business. He says, if you start making decisions like, ah, this isn't my money. I don't care. Just order the extra $5,000 worth of this or $2,000 worth of this. That that $5,000, that $2,000 is going to add up to be big bucks at the end of the project, you know? Mm-hmm. And then your budget's run away. There are so many different ways to lose money in this business. So many different ways to lose money. But, you know, it's also a very profitable business as well. So if you have good, high-performing teams, they'll figure out how to value engineer these projects and they'll figure out not how to cut corners the bad way, but they'll figure out how to, how to maybe combine stages or, 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 or not get too far ahead. But yet, you know, hey, listen, you know, our schedule calls out to be in, in, in area B in the next six months. But I think we could start grabbing that now, you know, but you got to have that. You got to have that level of training also to figure out all, all that kind of stuff as well. And this is kind of how I help, uh, you know, some some contractors as well, you know, like the smaller contractors who don't really have the resources over here in New York City, a, a project, a senior project manager is making 200, 250,000 and, and they call you know, they're costing the company 300,000 with benefits. So, you know, a person like a smaller contractor doesn't have that budget to kind of get a senior PM from a larger contractor to go work for them as they're growing, you know, mm-hmm. and those are. And those are some of the gaps that I hope to fill as well. Jerry, would you say you ever see, um, or at least maybe how common do you see that you have people in the wrong roles in these companies? I mean, people that either got um, got maybe, um, you know, advanced too quickly in their careers, or they just, uh, you know, they got, they got pushed beyond where their comfort is, and now they don't even know what to do because they didn't have the right mentorship. I mean, do you see that very often? And if you do, how do you address it? So again, I, I've worked for all different size companies and not even that, I just, you know, I have people that I always kept in touch with from, from college and all. And, and this conversation is, is, is always a big conversation because we all know many people who are put in their position that shouldn't have been in that position. Right. <laughs> so, for, you know, for example, I mean, it's, it's a lot of who you know and not what you know. And that's for any industry, right? A lot of these people are who you know, not what you know. These people are coming from a completely different side of of the business. And because someone that they know who works for a different company on another side of the business, right? And and they'll just grab that person because they're familiar with them and they trust them. But yet these people have no idea how to manage people, right? Which is very important as, as, as you're growing. And uh, they, they, they just don't understand that side of the business. Um, you know, for example, like I, I knew quite a few people who went from an inspection side to a GC side. And all of a sudden, we're like these executives in the GC side. Well, that's a problem <laughs> because it's a completely different world. You're self-performing your work. You're, uh, especially over here in the New York area, you know, you're, you're, you have to control the unions because the unions are going to want to control your jobs. Right. If you're not controlling the unions, they're going to control your jobs and they're going to throw their book at you all day long. And, um, you know, I, I mean, as far as being pushed into a position that you didn't want to be. That's a tough one, because, you know, a lot of people like to stay in their comfort zone and um, you got to push yourself outside your comfort zone to really understand who you are as, as a person as well. But you also have to understand that if you see that you're not able to grasp and, and, and you're not able to pick up traction and you're not willing to ask for additional training 
or, or, or you're not willing to ask for help, then you got to be willing to step up and say, hey, guys, listen, I'm sorry. I wanted to give this a shot, but it's not working out. The company's suffering. You know, I'm, I'm okay with you pulling me out of this position. I don't see that happening. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody do that. I think I may have heard of heard one of person. I know of one person, and it's a guy I, I've got to know recently. He basically said he told the owner, "Like, you need to. You, I just I need to do something else because this isn't working." Kind of the same thing. So I was like, "Man, that takes takes real balls to do that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it does. It does. It does. I, I mean, listen, you know, I I know people who were pushed into like a superintendent position, like a like a senior super position. A senior super position and they were like you know what guys after this job i don't want to be a senior super i want to yeah. be an assistant super i just i just don't want i just don't want every all the chaos coming straight to me and me being the one who's delegating out to everybody else and then having to follow up on everybody else just tell me what i got to do every single day so there's people like that too and 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 quite honestly i, I think a lot of people get into estimating because people get into this business, they want to be around the equipment, they want to be out in the field, they want to be in the middle of the construction, and then they start realizing, wow, man, this is this is really chaotic. This is this isn't as smooth sailing as I as I uh, anticipated. It's a lot of hours, you know. If, if you're working on rollways and highways, you're working a lot of nights, you're working a lot of weekends, and you're away from your family a lot. So I feel that a lot of people get into estimating because they just don't want to be out in the field and deal with all that chaos as well. So, but you know, at least they have field experience and, and they're willing and they're willing to, to understand their limitations as well. You know? So that's my take. Jerry, what got you into construction in the first place? Let's back up for a minute here. What, uh, you know, what, what led you into it? Where, what, what's your, what are your passions with it? So as a kid, I always built things. I always built things. I was always in my backyard taking like extra lumber that I had laying around that my father had laying around and I would just build things. It was just, it was in my nature. I mean, my mother always told me, my, my, my parents always said, you're either going to become an architect, an engineer or a chef, right? Thank God I never got into being a chef because I, I uh, except for barbecue, and I don't like cooking. <laughs> I come from an off-the-board Italian family. So my father, every September, also used to make homemade wine. And back then, they didn't have the five-gallon drums like how they have now, so they had all the, all the crates. I would take those crates, and I would build clubhouses, and, and those crates would last me for six, seven, eight months, you know. I was just always building things. It was just what I wanted to do. You know, I mean, a part of me really wanted to get into carpentry or become an electrician. You know, I went the school route and um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I actually started. So I took architecture in high school. I majored in, in architecture. I went to a trades and technical high school and then I went to engineering in college. Uh, after three semesters, I said, you know what? I, I don't want to be an engineer. I always thought that 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 the only route I was able to go was structural engineering, which was definitely not something I wanted to do. So I went back into architecture. I actually got a degree in architecture. And then I actually got a job with an engineering company. You know, well, well not an, an engineering company, but they did highways and bridges. So it was all engineered. So it was a little bit of a zigzag back and forth. And here I am now, you know, I'm out on my own. Very interesting. I my first construction project. I must have been seven or eight years old. My neighbor and I built the tree for it, and it was a great time, man. We we, we got our hammer and nails and two by fours and a handsaw. We went out in the woods, and I mean, it was it was mostly pretty straight. I think I don't remember falling from it. 
I love I love landscaping too. I was always I was always out in the garden, and, and I was always helping my father with, with with his garden as well. So I mean, just like you, I was just out, outside all day long. I was around tools, around tools all day long. And then if it was the summer, if it was the winter time, and it was and it was snowing outside, I would go out and I would build like igloos and stuff. It was just everything around everything that I did. Remember Bob Vila home again? Remember that show Bob oh, yeah. Vila? I mean, yeah, now they got Vila. so much on HGTV. I wasn't watching. I mean, yeah, I was watching my cartoons, but on Saturday mornings, I was a nine, 10 year old kid watching Bob Vila home. <laughs> it's crazy. Like my mother's like, what are you doing watching this? I said, I don't know. I, I'm just interested in it. You know, the guy's building, putting siding on. I always really wanted to build homes. That was what I always wanted to do. So I, I, I talked about being a carpenter, an electrician, that I went to architecture. And then I ended up just getting a job in the middle of the city, building highways and rollways and bridges, you know? So it's pretty interesting. I have a pretty interesting uh, path. I got into construction. Well, I went to college to do civil engineering because I thought I wanted to be a custom home builder. And I was like, I don't, in hindsight, like, I don't know how that I thought the two of those connected. But when you're 18, I thought it was, that was the path. And now that I've been out in the commercial world, I was like, I would not want to be a custom home builder. Like, there's too many emotions around it. And like, commercial yeah. constructions, there's not, there's not really emotions. Like, build it for plans and build it for specs and do what the contract says. And so, my, my game plan was to invest in my own properties and just build my own properties and then sell my own property, you know? And, and so I'm not dealing with a client all day long. <laughs> so, but you know, that's not always the case. Like, especially now with, with what's happening with the interest rates and all, you know, you can't, you can't really do that as well. Or can you, I, I really don't know. I, you know, I don't know enough about that. Not either. Well, from what I understand, those that have properties are doing well, and those that don't, they're kind of holding off. So I, I wish, I wish that they had those properties back. Before. Yeah, you know, exactly. I try, I tried moving down to Florida for a couple of years, and uh, the the property skyrocketed. And uh, unfortunately, the 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 Florida salaries are, are are terrible. I mean, they're they're terrible compared to the rest of the um, fifty states, and um, I don't know how people are doing it, really. It's crazy. Let's say I have one question for you. So say there's a some small business owner, say just say a subcontractor, right? And they're just what is some like advice for like a low hanging fruit, two or three low hanging fruits they can do to kind of really help their business be a little bit more efficient, a little smoother room, kill a few pain points, kind of Hey Matt, I'm losing you a little bit. getting a little low hanging fruit they can do yeah matt we lost you man my wi-fi is cutting out yeah you said something you said something about a small contract with two low hanging fruits and that's all i heard yeah let me try again so if there's a (laughs) say a small subcontract out there they don't have a they can't go hire the three hundred thousand dollar senior pm to come help them you know get to the next level yeah. What is some low-hanging fruit they can do that's you know not real cost prohibitive, doesn't take a whole lot of effort, but can really give them a, the next step? Just kind of the easy things that give the most impact. You mean like building their teams of, of, of what they have, kind of doing more with what they have right just now? Kind of a, just operations, business operations. You know, just to kind of help. You know, if you're a business owner, what can I do that's a um, low effort, the highest ROI to kind of help my team, help my company, help my operations? Hmm. So, I mean, one, I would kind of start with what you already have and, you know, 
I would, I would, I would almost interview your own people and and kind of see what they feel needs more help in. Um, you know, get their get their feedback and. You know, people people want to have a one-on-one relationship with who they're working for, right? They really want to understand who they're working for, the personality that they're working for as well, right? So what I always encourage is is maybe have a luncheon, you know, a once-a-month luncheon and just kind of get feedback from your own people and, and, and find out what what's holding them back. What do they feel is is not keeping them from being the best at what they really want to do? Or this goes back to our previous conversation. Are they in a position that they really want to be in? I know tons and tons of people that are not in their position. A lot of people are estimating they want to go out to the field, right? That's that's the perfect scenario. I mean, it, it's important to understand estimating so you could be successful in the field and, and, and vice versa as well. But understand who who's working for you right now and, 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 really, and really make a list of, of the skills that you have right now. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, it's, it's a loaded question, Matt. And, and it, it really takes a lot of, um, really takes a lot of thoughtful questions based mm-hmm. on what the company's resources are at, at that given time and who they have. Cause I, I also know quite a few contractors who have been trying to find estimators and PMs and supers for years and, and they just can't find the right people, you know? So. I do like that idea though, of tapping into your team, right? And really kind of making sure that you do have and there was i went to a leadership class last year and the the leader or the uh the gentleman who presented the class he had this phrase it was um i'm probably gonna butcher the exact phrase but it's having the right people in the right seat doing the right job for the right reasons and that's basically the recipe for success and once you get those people right you may have the right people but again like in the book good to great i don't know if you read that one it's all about having the right people in the right seats you may have the right people i just you need to be an estimator. I need to be in project management and Kyle needs to be a superintendent and we'll all kind of take one seat over to the left. And now, whoa, now we're really cooking, you know? So yeah, but something um, else. Said, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. I was going to say, sometimes you just got to look at that. Just kind of, how do you rearrange the puzzle pieces to make things better? And let me add, this is that do your people really understand what their responsibilities are as well. Right. Because, because you'll, you'll, you'll be very surprised when you start asking them, Hey, who are you and what do you do at this company? Um, and if you compare that list for what who their supervisor thinks that that person is supposed to be doing, it'll be two probably it'll probably be two totally different lists. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, I find that this as is, well. Oh, one hundred percent. That's recipes for disaster, right? Because yeah. he thinks he's doing a great job. His supervisor thinks he's doing an awful job because <laughs> they're yeah, right. They're looking at different lists. Right, right, right. And and you know. And constantly giving constructive criticism is, is important as well. And people need to be able to take that as well. I mean, I remember back when I was in architecture and, and back then we weren't using AutoCAD. We would draft them by hand. And when the teacher came up to your perspective and your plans and put a red marker and just started writing on your, on, on, on your, um, on your drawings, oh, man. Luckily for me, I didn't have too much of that, but you had to take it and and you had to understand that it was it was to teach you, you know, it wasn't it wasn't to hurt you. So, and I I know that's a problem with a lot of the younger generation as well is they don't want to take that criticism, and you got to take it. It's it's just it's that type of a business as well. So, it was one of the hacks in my twenty five hacks list was basically to to solicit constructive criticism, right, and then actually do something with it. 
yeah. I, I do think, I mean, I think every generation, but I think as the generation is getting, they may be harder to get that constructive feed, constructive criticism, which makes it even more of a superpower if you can do it, right? It gives you even that step ahead. If you can do it, you actually solicit it. You say, hey, Jerry, man, tell me where I'm sucking. Help me out here. And then you tell me, hey, you could do this, this, and this better. Like, okay. And if you don't, if you know, and you're doing that, you're wanting to improve. And if I come to you, you're going to tell that because you see I'm wanting to improve. And then if I actually go in and implement it and you make, man, I told him to do this and he's doing that. That's awesome. You know, it, it, it also matters who it's coming from as well. Right. So if it's that person who I told you about before, who is that really cranky person, you're not going to take that criticism too well. Right. Because you're just going to think that they're just being difficult with you. So it also really depends on who's giving you that criticism as well. Well, and Matt, yeah. I, that, that, that hack's really good, too, because if, if you yeah. think about it from the perspective of the person that, that has to give the feedback, it's a lot easier conversation if I need to give feedback and someone asks me for it first versus mm -hmm. me having to come up with a way to organically create a discussion that leads into the feedback and do the do the sandwich thing, start with something yeah. good, then give them the real feedback, then end with something good again. You know, that's, that's, that's the way things are when you have to have to lead it yourself and start the conversation. But somebody just asking, hey, what can I do better? All right, let's have a real conversation now. Let's 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 really get down to what's going on. hundred percent. It makes it so much easier for everybody, too. Yeah. So. Well, I know Kyle's got to get it out to a project site. Jerry, before he runs, before we wrap this up, is there anything else you think you need to give out for the next generation they should know? Just stay at it, stay motivated. Um, I think there's a big gap going on right now and which presents a lot more opportunity for a lot of the younger generation to really step up and to shine and 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 to really stand out. You know, you wanna you all you wanna always be you wanna always be the big fish in the small pond. You know, so um, figure out your ways. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn and and I'll always give you uh, some advice as well. But try to be the big fish in the small pond. That's a really good point, Jerry. And Matt, I, I can't remember if we talked about this already with a previous guest or not. But for anybody that's that's new coming coming into the into the trades into construction, there's a there's a massive shor shortage. There's a, there's a huge shortage of workers, and it's it's only going to get worse over the next few years as people retire. That just creates opportunity. I mean, that 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 means there's more opportunity to to really prove yourself and even and be even more successful. So, I mean, take advantage of it. Take the bull by the horns, do it, do something with it. Right, right. And, and it's not slowing down construction. I mean, and, you know, the infrastructure no. spending bill has, hasn't even really started pouring into the economy yet. You know, supposedly a lot of contractors and states are, are holding back because they, they just don't have the resources for it. That's that's what I'm hearing. I don't know if that's uh, that's just someone's opinion or not. But, you know, especially the infrastructure side, it's, it's going to get really hot the next 10 years. Exciting times in the industry, man. Really yeah, is. absolutely. It's exciting times for us as well. You know, I mean, Always for us, yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, there's, there's tons and tons of opportunity out there. So 100%. stay motivated and stay hungry. That's, can send me an email at jerry with a j j e r y at pro cellcom or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always hanging around there as well, and that's how all three of us met. So, it's a it's a great spot to network. Um, just be willing to network. 
That's the problem. I hate when I reach out to people and you got to put their email address in in order to connect with them because they want to know you. Like, why are you on LinkedIn if you want to just connect with people that you know already? (laughs) (laughs) It's to meet meet people like us. I mean, you guys are in Texas. I'm in New York. This is a beautiful thing, you know? It's awesome. No, Kyle's in Montana or Minnesota. I mean, like, oh, he's in Minnesota. Uh, okay. Me and Kyle, like, we don't even, we've never even shook hands. Like, this, our entire, we met each other virtually through LinkedIn, had a <laughs> bunch of phone calls. Hey, let's do a podcast. And, like, one day we're going to have to, like, I guess, actually meet face to face and fight, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> well, hopefully one day we'll all be at one seminar where we're all under one roof, man. That, that would be awesome. The CMA Someone needs to set that up. <laughs> so well thanks jerry and thanks kyle i appreciate you guys yeah, yeah man that was fun yeah absolutely guys thank you for having me on and um i look forward to the future appreciate it thanks a lot guys thanks.